<laughs> uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you are here. You know, one of uh, the things that I'm always working on with the youth is, uh, is letting your life scream the name of Jesus, right? That's such a big thing that, uh, that I love to remind the young people about. And I'll tell you what, our young people in this church do a really good job. We have an amazing group. I'm really sad to lose this group of seniors. Um, they have been such a blessing. We have some good juniors that are going to pick up in their footsteps, but I'm really sad to lose this group of seniors because I've seen most of them since they were babies. And now they're not babies anymore, and that scares me because I have a seven-year-old who's going on 17. But part of my job is, is just being around them. And, and uh, I love to people watch. Anybody else in here with me, right? Some of you. Um, I don't know, sometimes I may look creepy because I'll just go to the spectrum and sit and just drink a diet soda, don't tell my wife, uh, drink a diet soda and just watch people. And it's, it's funny because I think we're always watching to try to catch the bad stuff, but when you see something good happen, it takes you by surprise, right? And, 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 and I always wonder if so many people are Christians, or at least so many people say that they're Christians, how come only time we see the good things happen or is in that rare occasion. But just keep an eye out because if you ever see me out and about and I'm just sitting there with a big soda in my hand, I am watching you. <laughs> I know when we go out to, to people watch and we, we're always watching people, but we're not really ever conscious that people are watching us, right? We always like to pretend that we can sneak away or we're the ones that aren't being seen, but you are. You're always being seen by somebody. Uh, and I learned that lesson quite a few times unexpectedly when I have two little girls, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and that four-year-old is the sneakiest little thing. You know, you'll be, I was on a diet, still kind of am, because I ate a lot two weekends ago at a wedding, but I was on a diet, and I happened to, I don't flex in the mirror very often, okay? I don't flex in the mirror very often, but I happen to kind of be impressed with myself, you know? You turn and give the side shot and some of these things. And this is in the confinement of my own home, only to look down in the corner of the mirror and see my four-year-old standing back there doing this, <laughs> doing the same things I was doing. And it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks that, that somebody's always watching, right? When we go out, uh, you know, in the car, Wherever you are, you are, people are always watching, and, and that's really how it should be, right? As Christians, people should, should be watching us do good things all of the time because that's the nature of our Father. So uh, I think sometimes we just get caught in the bubble of our own lives, like there's no one else around or there's nothing else going on. A lot of the times when we go to the store in our sweatpants, we don't want other people to see us right? We kind of just, oh, I need milk for the kids' cereal in the morning, so you throw on what you wore to the gym three days ago, because that was the only thing you could find, and you're like, I really don't want anybody to see me or smell me while I'm at the store, and we do everything with a mission, right? We're, we're, we're trying to be time efficient, but a lot of the times, that, that, that lets us miss a lot of opportunities, like, 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 you go to the grocery store with a mission. For me, it's to grab Rockstar and a beef jerky before I come to church on Sunday morning. You go to school with a mission. You go to work with a mission. That's to get in your office before anybody else can see you and shut the door so they don't talk to you. Anybody else or just me? And I think so often, we also go to church with a mission. Right? We get comfortable with the people that we see. Sometimes we don't want anybody to see us, so we'll sneak in at 7.05 on a Wednesday night so nobody can talk to us because worship is going on. And we, or if somebody comes into the seat next to you, you want to act really spiritual like you're worshiping when you were just checking your iPhone. Yes, when I'm up here, I'm watching you. But we, we even do spiritual things. We do church things with a mission. And I think a lot of the times the mission that we take on is, is strictly based on us. right? It is a great thing to come to church. It is a great thing to get built up in the Word so that you can... You can uh, have the life that God promised you, but if you are the only one that is growing or benefiting from your time at church, you're doing it wrong, right? You, the gift that Jesus gave wasn't just supposed to come to you, then stop. It's something that when you get it, we sang a song when I was a kid, uh, it was talking about Jesus was the gift that keeps on giving, and the gift goes on and on and on and on and on. And, on, and I don't know how many times we sang it until the parents shut off the microphones, but that's the whole idea of why we come here. But so many times we come with just the mission of, I'm struggling with so much, I'm going through so much, I just need to get myself fixed before I can do anything else, before I can reach out to anybody else. And 
you guys, that's not how it's supposed to be. So tonight I want to look at uh, what a biblical example looks like. You living out. If people were watching you, what would they see? And tonight we're going to look at a few verses and some things of what a biblical example would look like. So if you would, would you turn to Titus 2? And most of the things I'm going to reference tonight will be from our friend Paul. Titus 2, in verse 1, we're talking about biblical example. But speak thou the things which, come, which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. Now, I don't, I, the Bible didn't tell us what age aged men started at, so uh, let's just make sure. When you're a grown-up, this is what we're talking about. The aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And here's what I want you guys to get. Verse 7, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about you. You guys, our works and our, life shot, our lifestyle should be a pattern of good works, right? When people are watching you, it shouldn't surprise them to see you doing good things. It shouldn't surprise them to see you reaching out to somebody at the food court or offering your seat to the person uh, on, on the bench waiting for a ride on the bus or at Disneyland or, or in the waiting room at Islands. You know, sometimes on Sunday after church, that place fills up and you're fighting over seats. And you know, there's a lot of grown men that don't give up a seat for my two kids. And I'm thinking, y'all need some lessons, right? Because the things that we do this pattern when we're Christians, our pattern should be good works. And, and what I also love is that uh, when you are doing good works, when people try to come against you, it says they'll be the ones that are ashamed. Right? You guys know that if there's ever been something that you've kind of cut a corner on or we're trying to get a project done for school and maybe didn't do all the research or didn't quote all the footnotes that you needed to quote, when we do those little things, those tend to haunt us, right? When you've when you left something undone or haven't done it to your best ability, those little things haunt you. But how much more would it be good for us if we were always reminded of the good things that we were doing, right? If, if in everything we lived out Christ's example and did it the right way so that when we look back, we don't have those little tiny things that are bothering us. We just remember that, look, we did it the best that we could. And when and people come against you, like if those guys at Islands would have given up their seats for my kids... I couldn't have said anything contrary to them, right? But I think they should be ashamed for not giving seats up for a seven and a four-year-old. But you guys, people are always watching and listening. So let's flip again to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you know as well as I do that these things are in this awesome book that we have known as the Bible. These are the words of God. And these are things that are recorded uh, forever by the Holy Spirit for us. 2 Timothy 3 and 10, verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. This is Paul talking to Timothy. My purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. All those things were mentioned before. My persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Amen. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And I always look at this as a reminder. And when I was first taking on the role as a youth pastor, what I really love is that Paul was willing to share with Timothy his life. Right? Timothy knew who Paul was, knew everything about him, and he tells him, Look at everything that I've been through. You've seen it all. And, and then at the end of uh, verse 14, he says, look, you know and you have learned these things and you can trust them because you know me. Right? You've seen me walk them out. You've seen me do these things. And, and what a great example that 
when people can trust the words that come out of your mouth because they see you live it? I mean, could you imagine how that would turn the business world upside down if people were always honest? Could you imagine how that would make you feel about buying a new car if people were always honest? I went to get my wife a new, uh, her lease was up, so we went to get her a new car, and they had promised this super special deal. Any other men ever fell sucker to the super special deal? So I spent a, a Thursday evening getting very upset at the car dealership because they wouldn't do what they said they would do. Now, wouldn't it be an amazing world if, if Christians were bold enough to just stand up and always speak the truth, to always do the right things, to always be willing for their words to match up with their actions, right? How much more fun would that make buying a car? How much more fun would that make doing anything to where you knew you were getting the truth every time you walked in somewhere, to that when people said something, you could actually believe it. But see, I, I couldn't believe the car salesman because I had never known him. I'd never seen the, the way that he carried out his life. I'd never heard the words out of his mouth other than this is what the special is. Now, I can tell you that wasn't what the special was, right? His, his actions weren't lining up with the words, and I think that's always something that we can look at Paul's example because he tells Timothy, look, I'm someone that you can trust because you've seen me live it. You've seen the things that I've done. You've seen it walked out in my life, so you can trust the words because you know me. Your actions should back up your words, not contradict them. The people around you, they should know that Christ is in you, that your words and actions every day should focus on leading them closer and closer to Jesus. Uh, verse 15, and that from a child that has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You guys, one of the ways that we can make sure that our lives are saying the right example is knowing the word of God. It tells us right here that the word of God is profitable for us. That means do it. It's good for you. And when you know the word, when you're in the word, that word <laughs> thoroughly furnishes you to do all good works. Amen. Right, that's a good thing. We are called to do good works. We are called to be the man of God, to be perfect and to be furnished for every good work. That's a good thing that we should strive for. Your actions should be lining up with the life of God that you read and hear taught uh, every time that you come here. In 2 Corinthians 3, let's go there. We're going to talk about our buddy Paul some more. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. Guys, that applies to you. You are declared to be the epistle of Christ, the letter of Christ to other people. Ministered by us, not written in ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart and such trust we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God and I made a note in here don't disqualify yourself your perfection your sufficiency is of God it's not by your own doing your job is simply to walk in it verse 6 who also has made us able ministers of the new testament not of the letter but of the spirit did you guys catch that? You are an able minister of the gospel. Have you guys ever had somebody that influenced your life in a great way that you never got to physically talk to? Maybe, maybe it's a self-help guy that writes lots of books or you've heard speak other, other, other ways. Or uh, as a kid, we always look up to athletes. Now, I can't tell you one thing. Now, I'm going to tell you who my childhood athlete hero was, and I don't want you to laugh or giggle. It was Mark McGuire. He was a baseball player for the Oakland A's. He was, at the time, he was a skinny guy, right? He was a skinny guy that was fast. By the end of his career, uh, he was a big, giant home run hitter. But I looked up to that guy so much, and I liked him so much, and I never heard a word that guy said. I simply liked what he did on the field, right? Him and Jose Canseco were the Bash brothers, Right? They hit 40, Jose Canseco hit 40 home runs and stole 40 bases, and that was like unheard of, and Mark McGuire was the table setter for him, was always batting right in front of him and getting on base. 
And I just thought, how can somebody impact? Like, I bought a baseball bat that looked like Mark McGuire's baseball bat. My favorite team was the Oakland A's. I live nowhere near Oakland. I live right here. But how can somebody impact you so much just simply by the way that they act? That's because everything that I saw him do on the field was good. From home runs to, to making awesome plays, I think at the time he was an outfielder and then later moved to first base. But people can impact. You can impact people that you never even speak to. Remember, they're always watching. You are an able minister of the gospel. You are the living gospel for all men to see. Verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. I like that, that these guys weren't the only ones that didn't try to overcomplicate things. I've gotten conversations with some of my friends that write websites and computer programs, and uh, I have no idea what they're talking about. I know what the end result is. I have a buddy that does uh, home audio installations, and uh, any time that we've spoken about things, he takes the time to simplify it so that I can understand it, right? And I think, uh, I love that it's not just uh, us, that these guys in the Bible, uh, the way that they could explain the gospel to people didn't have to be this big, overworded, super confusing uh, ideology. They would say something simple and then point back to their lives. You know, they had people that followed them all around that, that had been healed. When Jesus healed people, they would come and follow and entire cities would be turned around because of that one person. It didn't take Jesus explaining the whole things to them. Jesus even said a lot of the things that he told them they couldn't understand. But people still had the choice to believe because they saw what was being done. They saw the actions. You know, um, if you asked me how to do a backflip, now just, just to be clear, I cannot do a backflip. But if you asked me how to do it, I would probably do some research on, on what happens when you start to throw your body backwards when you uh, weigh 300 pounds and, and how much force it takes to flip your legs over your head. Uh, my little kid does it just by falling over. I don't understand. But I can't do a backflip. So if you ask me a question that I have no experience in, I'm going to try to study and over-explain how this thing works. Now, there's a young adult that has been to my house and been on my trampoline, and I know he can do a backflip. Right, Danny? Danny can do a backflip. So instead of me over-explaining something or trying to make things up to, to show you it, I have a, a, a guy that can simply say, well, this is the idea behind it, and watch me do it. How much more impactful? Anybody else in here a visual learner? I had math teachers tell me all kinds of stuff, and until they wrote it on the board for me to copy, no go. So many times... Uh, like these guys, they didn't have to overcomplicate it with speech. And I'm so glad that that verse is in the Bible because it hits a football player right in the chest. That I don't have to try to make up fancy words or uh, try to compete with a bunch of degrees just to tell you that my God loves you. It should be a simple thing. And when you see my life walked out, that's the judge. You know, I was, I was at a wedding uh, a couple weeks ago as a kid that I grew up with, uh, one of my best friends, and uh, one of the his mother's friend. So my second mom, basically, besides my real mom and Miss Beth. So I guess mom number three. She was there and she was like, well, why can't you be our pastor? And I said, well, I don't have the master's degree that you require. And she said, yeah, but you're always so happy and you tell people about Jesus. And I said, what if the world really did work that way? These guys didn't have to go get degrees, right? And so many times we try to qualify what it takes to, to be someone that carries out good works. The, the, these guys, Paul, and the guys telling these messages, and the guys that walked this out, they simply did it by living it. Look, if I stand up here and tell you all these awesome things about Jesus, and then I don't do it, don't listen to me. Right? But I think we see a lot of people in, in the, in, that are Christians fail because they tell you one thing, and then behind the scenes they're doing something else. And I think that's one of the biggest things that hurts congregations, uh, that hurts just the name of Christianity in general, is people are always looking to watch those leaders stumble. People are always watching, and that's why what you do and what you say matters, right? That's why the, the actions that we take, the things that we do matter, because people are watching. You know, any time that you're going to share the love of God with somebody, there's a four-year-old in the mirror watching, they're watching the rest of your life to see what you're all about. You guys ever had a hero of yours? Mark McGuire, right? My, my, my idea of Mark McGuire 
was completely changed when I found out years ago that he was probably using performance-enhancing drugs. Right? You don't go from being 180 pounds to being 250 and just hitting home runs all over the place naturally. But that was something that just crumpled my reputation of him, my thoughts of him, this, this childhood hero to learn that he had cheated. Right? And, and, and your example matters to other people. Let's go back and look at in 2 Timothy 2. You guys, your lives are called to be an epistle. You're an example. You are the word. You are Jesus to other people. There was a, a little country Christian Western song. Is that how you say it? Christian country Western. Uh, and it was probably set to, the, to the, the, the rhythm of hokey pokey when I was a kid. But it said uh, some of the lines in it led you to the end of the course which said, you may be the only Bible another man ever reads. I've always remembered that. Can't find the song on YouTube. It was before the internet was out, really. But you might be the only epistle. You might be the only letter that somebody else ever gets the chance to see. And what is your story saying to them? 2 Timothy 2, Paul's going to explain some more of what a living example should look like. Verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Faith, charity, peace. Man, a lot of the same things with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Now, any time that anybody ever wants to argue with me that the Bible is not relevant and not for today, uh, you can feel free to take them right here to this verse, 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they gender strifes, and say, you don't think God knew that there would be a Facebook in 2018? Right? Can you guys ever see these arguments that take place on Facebook? Just go on. It's, it's crazy. I don't, you, you can't really argue over Instagram because it's pictures, but I'm sure they'll figure out how to do it. But this Bible is so relevant that it knew how dumb social media would get. <laughs> right? Like all the political posts, all the religious posts, all of the any post you get. You can post a picture of the cutest puppy and say, my dog is so cute. I don't have a dog. I don't want a dog. They poop everywhere. You can post a picture that says, my dog is so cute. And you'll get four people that'll be like, oh, heart, smiley face. And several people that'll be like, nope, sorry, mine's cuter. Like, are you serious? Thank you for the Bible for telling Christians to stay away from that garbage, right? But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You guys, this is what God wants our lives to look like. This is what God wants other people to see in our lives. Be pure. Follow what's right. Have faith. Have love. Have peace. Be gentle. Apt to teach. Means that you have to know the word and be ready. Patient. I think patience is something that a lot of us struggle with. Uh, so if I were to say to somebody, look at my life, I would say, except when I lose my patience with my kids, right? I think that's my number one stumbling block is bedtime. My little one refuses to use toothpaste. That's a fun battle. Look at my life. <laughs> you guys, why is it important for your life to look like this? Keep, keep reading. Why is it important for your life to look like this? Why is it important for the epistle that you are writing with your life to look like this? Instructing those that oppose themselves. In verse 26, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. You guys, when they hear, when other people, when the world is, is watching, when they see you, when they hear you, when they watch you live, that's your chance to show God to them. Romans 2.4 says this, that the goodness of God leads them to repentance. Your manner of life, your words, your actions should be showing other people, the goodness of God. And, and when you do these things, when you live pure, when you walk by faith, when you walk in love, when you show patience to other people, you're showing the good gifts and the good nature of God to them. His goodness leads to repentance. Verse 26, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. A lot of the times we put that pressure on us, right? We put, we put that pressure on us that we're the ones that have to deliver them. We're the ones that have to over-explain all these things to them. Right? And sometimes we may only get a chance. So when you go out with the evangelism team, you may only get one chance to meet these people. And so we, we, we show, shower them with the love of God and do everything that we can. 
But a lot of the times, the people that you're going to help lead to Christ are the people that you're consistently speaking with. The people that have walked alongside you the whole time while you've been living out this example, while you've been showing them peace and patience. You haven't got into little strifes and quarrels with them. Uh, You haven't uh, blew up at them. You've shown them all kinds of love and all kinds of grace to where when you speak into their lives, it changes the way that they start to think. Then eventually they're the ones that have to make that choice. That's so much of what we can share and what we can speak with people isn't from just going out one Sunday to tell people about Jesus. It's from the day-to-day actions, by the epistle that you write every day with your lives. Simply by saying, look at my life, Timothy, this is what Paul said, look at my life, Timothy. Trust the things I've told you because you have come to know me and trust me and know the words that I speak. I think that's something that would be really good to be able to say to people. Right? There's, I've had a lot of conversations and sometimes... Uh, People haven't seen God work in their lives the way that some of us have. And I'm not saying that to say that you need to watch God move bigger in your life or things like that. But just sometimes people, they were never taught that God wants to be part of their lives or wants to work in their lives. And, uh, you know, I've seen God show up on the spot and heal people on the spot. And that's really awesome. But not everybody's in that same boat. So there's been several conversations with people where I finally had to stop and say, look what, look what Paul said to Timothy. You know me. You know I'm not dumb. You trust me in every other area, so why would the word of God be different? I'm not trying to deceive them or do anything like that, but what I'm trying to do is show them, like, look, I've seen God move. I read this word. I study this word, and you know that because you walk with me every day. You see these things in my life, uh, and it reminds me of of when when somebody, I, I believe it was Jesus, when he said, you may not believe me, but believe me for the work's sake. Does that sound familiar? And there's been times where I've had to say that to people. Look, you don't even have to, to, to believe the words that I'm saying, but believe me for the work's sake. Believe the things that you see me do. Believe the, the, the things that I tell you about marriage because my marriage is successful. Right? And it all points back to God. Believe that, that, that I love my kids with all my heart because the way that you see me interact with my kids. Right? And they trust these other things about my life, but they're, sometimes they're reluctant about the things of God. And I love that Paul tells Timothy to look at my life. Look, Timothy, if there's any questions, you know me, you've seen me, you've seen what God has has done in my life. You've come to be my friend. You've come to trust me. Make this be an area that you trust me as well and watch what God does. You are God's letter to others. Be a good letter that leads to repentance. Uh, There's a story that I want to tell you, uh, not about me, it's in the Bible. So don't worry, I won't ramble on real long. You guys know the story of Daniel and Lion's Den? I hope so. It's been in every kid's Bible. It's been in every kid's TV show um, where the guy just gets to sleep with some big kitties. It's really cool. Uh, but, but I really like the story of Daniel and the Lion's Den. And if, and if you go back to the beginning of Daniel 1, you won't have to go back there, but uh, in Daniel 1 is when uh, an invading king came and took all, all of the high-level kids. Right? And, the, and the goal, what they would do, the invading king would come and take, take the next generation that was rising up, the best and the brightest. They would take them back to their land, train them all in their ways, so that when they sent them back to rule over their own people, there would be less chance of a revolt or a rising up. And so that was taking place at the beginning of, of Daniel 1. And Daniel, you'll remember this story, uh, he knows the things of God, and the king offers them uh, the best food. Around, Not just him, but a whole bunch of kids and, and the ones that they're rising up. And Daniel doesn't want to defile himself uh, because he knows God. He doesn't want to defile himself not doing the things of God. And so this is where he gets to eat the mush for about 10 days. Uh, and, and what I love about it is, is Daniel knew the things of God. And then when he knew and walked in the things of God, he said, he said watch me after 10 days and see what happens. Right? He was telling them, look at my life after this period of time and see what I look like. And you guys know the story. After 10 days, all the other guys had uh, probably the best hometown buffet that you could imagine. And these guys got to eat porridge or mush or uh, some kind of healthy oatmeal that you mix in the microwave. I don't know. And after 10 days, they looked fairer and stronger than the rest of the kids. From that moment on, Daniel's life continues to elevate and elevate. He, he gains favor with with God. He has favor with God and he gains favor with men all the way up until chapter six. Uh, 
And in chapter 6 is where we pick up the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And we'll start reading. You guys, you guys know a lot of this, but just in verse 3. Then Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. You guys, they were watching Daniel. They wanted to find a fault in Daniel. They wanted to accuse him. They wanted to to say something negative against him, and they couldn't find anything. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What if people watched you and that's all they could say? Man, the only thing we see about this guy is God. That's all that we see. We can't find anything wrong with this guy. God's not wrong. We can't find anything wrong with this guy. We don't even see anything else but God in this guy. Verse 6. Then those presidents and princes, princesses, <laughs> princes assembled together to the king and said thus to the king, King Darius, live forever. And you guys know what happens. They make a decree not to worship any god for 30 days. Verse 10. The king signs it. And then in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, I, I want you to know that Daniel was well aware of what was going on, right? It wasn't a surprise to him that this law had been signed. It says, Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. That means as he did all the time. You guys, Daniel knew the law had been signed. It wasn't hidden from, from him. And what I really like is that the letter that Daniel was writing every day was so consistent. was so consistent that, uh, that when a new law went into effect that didn't honor God, and this is the same thing he did at the, in the first chapter of Daniel. He was going to honor God whatever, contrary to whatever was going to be put in front of him. He wasn't going to defile himself with food, and he wasn't going to uh, not worship his God because he knew what he was supposed to be doing. He knew his life should scream and be the epistle that screams, God. God, God, the God of his people. Verse 11. These men assembled, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then the king, when he'd heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set in his heart to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And I think it's interesting. These guys knew exactly where to find Daniel. The same guys that examined his life, trying to find fault in him. The only thing that they had seen, the only way, the only thing they had seen is him praying all the time. The only thing that we see in this guy is God. So how can we trap him? We're going to trap him by making a rule where you can't worship God. Because guess what? The next day we know when, when we go see him, he's going to be worshiping his God. He's going to be doing the things uh, that he knows is right. Daniel wasn't going to stop living out his life for God just because the circumstances changed we know that the king was bummed out. He didn't want to do that to Daniel. He really liked Daniel. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried uh, with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, just by knowing and seeing Daniel's life, they knew Daniel was a servant of the living God. Is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut up the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency, is that how you say that? Was found in me, and also before thee. O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no, matter, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions had a mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. You guys, these lions were hungry. 
And what I love is, is that these guys came to accuse Daniel. And if you guys remember what we talked about in Titus, in all things showing itself a pattern of good works, Daniel had done that. In sound speech, that, they, that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary, the condemners in this story, them that are of the contrary may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. You guys, they had no evil thing to say of Daniel. They had been watching, watching so close that they knew that he spent time praying, watching so close that they knew where he was going to do it, how often he was going to do it, exactly how they would catch him. They must have been watching this guy for days, like a bad FBI movie, right? Like they were casing this guy's house, watching to see what days he would have the windows open, if it was at 8, noon, and 3, I don't know what times, but they had a lock on this guy, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Daniel walked out his example and showed himself a pattern of good works that could not be condemned. You guys, people are watching. In Daniel's story, jealous neighbors, jealous coworkers are watching. The king was watching, and God was watching. Are you guys people watchers? <laughs> Sometimes I read Daniel's story, and I get it. I get a picture of the modern-day church, and, and let me explain this. And uh, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. If this hits you in the heart, then uh, that's a good thing. We've got some things to work on. All of us do. But I think of the, this story in the context of the modern-day church, and Daniel is the guy that's publicly living out his life for God. Right? Any situation, he doesn't compromise the Word of God. He's always doing the things of God, and yet there's other people that are always searching to knock him down. Right? How often do we see that in, in the body of Christ where uh, somebody will rise to fame for a message maybe that they, that they give and uh, you know, a bunch of people in the same body of Christ are telling you everything wrong that this person's ever done or said. Right? If, if we spent our entire lives critiquing uh, Paul, we would never listen to a word that he wrote on these pages. Right? We spend so much time trying to knock people down. You know, we'll... You know, that guy prays too much, or he doesn't believe the exact same way that I do, or, or how about, oh, he goes to that church, right? So many of the things in Daniel's story parallel even the body of Christ, right? How we treat one another, how we're always looking to knock somebody else down, or how we're always looking to, to make sure that we get promoted instead of this guy. Guys, that's not what our lives should look like. We, we typically spend more time disqualifying people who are actually willing to go do the works of God than we do actually going to do the works of God ourselves. And that's not, not the example that the body of Christ should be living out. I, I, I made a note. It says, stop disqualifying people and go do something. If their kingdom work would be better with you helping them, what are you waiting for? Right? I think we see that a lot with young people who have these ambitions and these dreams to to do missions or to go do outreach. And so many times we, we take the time to tell them why it's not going to work. Cynical people, right? We take time to tell, to tell young people why the things of God won't work. Guess what? You're wrong. If God's leading them to do it and they're going wholeheartedly into it, it's going to work. You have tools that can help them. Why don't you? I'm not just talking to you guys. I'm talking to the whole body of Christ. I know you guys are like, gosh, this guy is mean. <laughs> but we disqualify young people instead of being willing to walk alongside of them. And I think if we took a poll, a lot of you guys, uh, maybe when you were in high school or, or, or early adult age, a lot of your dreams may have been discouraged. A lot of the ideas that you had that you were going to reach the world for Christ, maybe a lot of those were discouraged, and or maybe you never had somebody to, to come alongside you to show you actually how to do it. Right? We, have, we have a lot of awesome young people, and there's been a handful of them recently that have told me, I want to get better at public speaking. So guess what? It's our job to help them get more comfortable with public speaking. Right? It's not my job to tell them, well, sorry, you're not going to be the best speaker, so just quit now. And that's what we've done so much as the body of Christ to other people. Hey, I have an idea. I want to I I go do this for a ministry. Figure out ways to help them do it instead of cut them down. Right? And now, if you have experience and wisdom in those areas, share it with them. But don't cut them down. Don't try to hold them back because you don't know where God's leading them. Now, side note, if they tell you that they plan to do something that's completely contrary to the word of God, grab them by the neck and tell them, no, I'm telling your mom and dad and your youth pastor. Okay? But we discourage and disqualify instead of showing, showing them our lives. Uh, a lot of the times, and this is, I think this is why we like the, the talent shows that are on TV. This is like, like why, why we like reality shows, because uh, it's, it's so much easier to correct and critique other people than to stop and look at our own lives and the letters that we're writing. 
when I think about myself, I always think of, about in context of telling some of the, the, the kids in the youth group. Could I say, look at my life to a young person like Paul does to Timothy? If someone looked at your life, would they see you just telling other people how the kingdom of God should work? Or would they see the kingdom of God working with you and you working with the things of God? Right? Would they see that you're a Christian armchair quarterback or that you're out there actually running plays on the field? Your letter matters. You guys, we need each other. Uh, I go to bed earlier than some of the young people. When I go to bed, the kingdom work that God has for us does not stop. Ryan Tilo is up at all hours of the night. I don't know what he's doing all of the time. But we have, I bet you I go to bed later than some of you, right? You guys will reach areas that I won't. They'll reach areas that, that we won't, right? And that's why our letter and our lives matter because we can build off one, of, one another. Stop judging people that you're not willing to let see your life's letter. Make your letter one that's profitable for them to stop and to read. In, in several stories in the Bible, uh, the, women, the woman at the well or the, the, the lady that Jesus called a dog, right? A lot of the times uh, we'd be very quick to call somebody a dog and then just walk away from them. Or we'd see them on TV and call them a dog and tell them they're not worthy and never think anything about it. But Jesus didn't leave those people in those stories. and He didn't stand as a far-off judge. He stood as one that was willing to, to help them, to walk alongside of them, to help correct them and build them up. He was an active participant in their lives. He let them in just like Paul let Timothy into his life. Stop looking and talking. Go engage and encourage and teach. I love Jesus, guys. They didn't stop at church. They taught in churches. They went out everywhere and they ministered to people. For them, for Jesus, for Paul, for us, it should be a lifestyle, not a special event. The way that they lived their everyday lives, the, the epistle that they were writing with their lives ministered to people. What if every time, <laughs> what if Jesus was more like us in the fact that when we go to the grocery store, we do everything we can to hide from people and just sneak out the back door to the SUV and put our groceries in and go away, right? I know uh, I've, I've probably told you this before, but living up here, I grew up eight miles from here. So there's a lot of people I went to high school with that live in Foothill Ranch. And I'll go to the grocery store, and I used to do this. I'm getting better. But I'll go to the grocery store, and if I see them, I'll go the other way. Anybody else? Right? You'll go the other way. You're just like, man, I don't want to engage with those people. I just want to do my own thing. I just want to get, you know, my kids' milk and go back out to my car. I'm done. I don't want to do this. But we do these things, <laughs> and we wonder why people aren't attracted to Christianity. We wonder why people aren't attracted to our Heavenly Father, and we've, we've become so much a society of hiding and isolation instead of a society that does what Jesus did. Jesus went about preaching and healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil. You guys, we avoid people and he engaged. And when I say we, I'm talking about me as well because I go to the store and do the same thing. I'm not always smiley and bubbly. I'm not always having the greatest day. Sometimes my kids, I just dropped off at school and it's like, praise the Lord, somebody else is in charge of them for a few hours. Right? There's, there's moments that I don't always want to engage people, but... Jesus didn't let his emotions take him out of engaging people and helping people. We avoid people he engaged. We turn at the opportunity to preach, and he turned towards it. We act like we don't see people that were in need, and Jesus put himself right next to them. You guys know this verse, faith without works is dead, and uh, in context of being the example. If faith without works is dead, then uh, without the actions, without works in every day that you do every day, without the things that you do every day, without you walking those out, without you doing the things of God every single day, your words, without living like the words you say, like the word says you should, your faith is dead. You guys, this world does not need more letters, more epistles of death. They're living in death right now. They need letters of life. They need letters of hope. <laughs> your letter, your faith should be a living and active, life-giving faith with works and actions to show others the goodness of God. What if, you, what, if, what if somebody was writing a letter based on your life? What if, what if you wrote a letter to someone and said, look at my life? What would they see? Can I encourage you that it's not too late to change or to maybe correct some of the things that would be written in that letter? 
right? There's, there's never an age limit. There's never, uh, God will never turn anyone away. You can have someone that has a, a junky story their entire life, and then the last day of their life gives, gives their life to God, and that story has been completely turned around. But you guys, we've been reading about Paul all night, and one of the things I love when, when Paul said that to Timothy is, this early church knew who Paul was. They knew what Paul was doing before he got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. So when Paul says, look at my life, he's fully aware that they know where he came from. And and I love two things. I love that Paul uh, didn't take a whole bunch of time to go back and explain how bad he really was and how much he really hated those Christians. Because a lot of the times we think that by sharing our past, that's what we have to do. We have to crawl back in it to, to, to relate to somebody. But Paul simply related to them by showing them how far God had brought them. You can relate to anybody, no matter how low they are, no matter what situation they're in, by simply focusing on the love of God, right? You don't have to have the same mess that they had to be able to show them that God is a deliverer. And I think so often we just want to jump to the, jump to sharing all the nitty gritty, dirty details. And Paul just simply said, you've seen my life. You know about me. And one of the cool things that that Timothy could say is, yeah, I've seen God change this man's life. I've seen God work and move through him. I love that Paul said, look at my life. And he didn't say just the good parts. In, uh, in young adults, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I was up here, shared some things that were going on in youth and young adults. We had uh, several people get healed on a Friday night in youth and then again in young adults. And a couple weeks later, a girl that has really been exploring Christianity for the past six or eight months uh, um, I shared the testimony that she had come to know Jesus. You know, she had come on a Friday night after we had had the, the healing night. It wasn't supposed to be a healing night. We were just preaching about evangelism. And guess what? God shows up confirming his word with signs following. Amen. So you can expect those things. And God did miracles that night. Then the next week when this girl came, we were telling her about it. And, uh, and Mary said, hey, let's pray for your shoulder. And her, her shoulder got healed right there on the spot. And she started freaking out because now she really knew. She'd always seen us. She'd always heard us. And she couldn't understand why we would love her, but now God touched her. She saw, she saw it walk out. And, and, and I love that night. And that, that, that night, um, we sat and talked with her. And I, and I think it was the week following when she, she accepted, accepted Jesus as her Lord. And the same night that she did, she texted me at 1.30 saying she accepted Jesus. And then the next morning, I woke up to a text that said, and then, and then I called my friend and told her about God, and she accepted Jesus. Right? And, and, and I was so excited, and I think it's, it's, it's something we should all be rejoicing about. But I had this thought creep in that was like, she doesn't even really know what that means. How can she get someone saved? Right? I started playing howdy towdy Christian, you know, instead of rejoicing. This girl had gotten someone else saved, but I, everything in me was trying to say how she wasn't qualified to do that. And I think that's so much what we do a lot of the times with young people, uh, with people that are on fire or actually going and doing the things of God. Well, they're not really doing that right. The girl got saved. Tell me how she didn't do it right. We can build on that, right? But she was willing to share. She was willing to go. And she got that person saved. And then later that day, hey, I told my mom what happened. And she got saved. You guys, can I submit to you that it wasn't this big confusing, extravagant explanation of the gospel that got those people saved. It was them seeing the goodness of God in that girl's life that led two other people to repentance. And some of us would dare to put our nose up at her and say, well, she's only been a Christian for an hour. There's no way she could have led somebody else to the Lord. How dare us, right? (laughs) Look at my life. Look at Jesus' life. You guys, there's, there's so many great things that we can learn and grow and continue to focus on in our lives to make our example better. You can never pray too much. You can never talk to God too much. You can never know too much of the word. You can never talk about God and his word too much. You can take what you know, what you learn here every Sunday, and you should make it a lifestyle. A lot of us play church on Sundays. I've been guilty. A lot of us play church where we put on the Christian persona for the day. But you guys, that Christian persona that you put on for Sundays, that can become the real you when you stay in the things of God. That person that's, 
that's happy, that's joyful, that reaches out to other people, that speaks boldly the things of God. Sometimes we only do it when we get inside the church doors, but you guys, that can be the person that you become. What we do matters. How we live matters. Look at my life. You guys, Paul lived in a way knowing that others were watching. That's something that we should do as well. There's always somebody that's watching. Whether you've been trying to minister to them or never knew that you spoke a word into their life, like Mark McGuire to me. Right, that guy still has no idea who I am. I met Jose Canseco, though. He's huge. But you guys never know the people that you're going to impact. A lot of them will be impacted without having a direct conversation with you. I got to take, my seven-year-old had a field trip the other day, and I got to take her, her first grade class on a bus to see a play. And, and, I, and, I, and I didn't speak to half of the kids in her class, but the whole next day, I was the one that they were talking about. This big, giant, smiley guy, right? Sully from Monsters, Inc., right? But I didn't speak to half of the kids, but I impacted their lives. And you guys, that's just a picture or a quick glimpse of how our lives every day can impact the world around us. Somebody is always watching. Let's make sure that our letters that we're living out are preaching the goodness of God. Amen? Father God, we thank you for this night, for this time to come together just to, to learn and to hear from you. We thank you for our pastor and, uh, and Pastor Mike and Pastor Beth, that they are just away being refreshed with family. We thank you for them and the work that they put in all the time, the diligence and the faithfulness that they have shown us and taught us. We are so grateful for them, God. We thank you for that we have a pastor and a pastor's family that we can follow their example, that they live out the life of Jesus to help us live our lives for Jesus as well that we can see that in them, and in turn, we purpose to follow you even closer so that other people can see that in us, that gift that goes on and on and on. God, help us to seize the opportunities to reach out, that when we're at the grocery store, put on our hearts to go speak with them because we never know where that conversation may lead. Instead of avoiding that, we would approach them, that we would show them your goodness that leads to repentance, that we'd be your light everywhere that we go, that's the letter that we want to write, God. One that you've purposed and you've given us to be your hands and feet here. We love you and you praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, thanks for being here. Pastor Mike will be back on Sunday. Have a great night. We love you. See you later.